And turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, that's on page 760 of your church Bibles, Matthew 5. We're going to look at verses 27 through 37 today. And uh, I'll warn you now, it is a bit of a longer sermon this morning. Uh, actually, we won't get to verses 33 through 37, um, really. But, um, but yeah, I'm going to read them anyway, because I don't think Steve will get to them next week either. Uh, so, uh, Matthew 5, uh, verses 27 through 37. And this is God's word. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forevermore. Now, if you were paying attention to what I just read, then you've realized by now that we're focusing our, this morning on, on sex and marriage. Uh, and the great thing about this for me is that I don't have to work hard to get your attention. I've already got it. All of you with short attention spans have, have probably found that your, your ability to pay attention has grown about tenfold, hasn't it? <laughs> now, the downside of this for me is, is that some of you won't like what I have to say. Right? Or rather, you won't like what, what Jesus has to say here, while, while others of you might, might like what, what Jesus has to say a bit too much, which is actually ironic when when you stop and think about the, the fact that, that Jesus is actually trying to convict those who have used the law as a way of claiming righteousness through legalism. But some people have still taken these verses and, and claimed that they're righteous by them. What I want to, to remind us of this morning is that, that Jesus actually means what he says in these verses. We need to underline that and just be really clear about that, that Jesus isn't saying a bunch of seemingly harsh uh, things, only to add just kidding at the end. He means exactly what he says, and we heard that last week when, when he warned against adding to or taking away from the word of God. We have to take these verses seriously if we're going to follow Jesus. But if we take these verses in isolation, we, we may miss the greater point. Remember that this is a sermon that Jesus' followers would have heard all in one sitting. And we're breaking it up. So we need to regularly remind ourselves of, of the bigger context that Jesus is, is speaking into here. The whole, the whole purpose of this sermon is to show us our brokenness and our need of Christ. And that's why he, he began with the blessings at the beginning of, of chapter 5. The blessings on the brokenhearted. Because when we feel our brokenheartedness... When we feel that brokenness, that's when we see our need of a Savior. So 
So does Jesus want you to feel bad? In a sense, yes. But it's more than feeling bad. It's a, it's a broken-hearted desperation for righteousness. It's a desire to be counted as, as one who has kept the law of God. Who's kept the, the law as Jesus has described it here. And so if as we, we go through this, you think, uh, this, is really, this is really difficult. This is difficult to hear. It's, it's painful even. Well, let me just say, I'm, I'm sorry. But actually, it's, it's supposed to be on some level. It was, it was, I'll confess, painful for me to prepare it. And the whole point of it is to, to show us a Savior who's greater even than our sexual sin and marital infidelity and our broken promises. And there's two things for us to see this morning. First of all, our broken sexuality. And secondly, our, our broken marriages. So first of all, our, our broken sexuality. What, I, I can't think of anything more controversial in our day than sex. And the thing is, it's, it's always been controversial. And, and even in my, my lifetime, uh, the reason for the controversy has shifted. 20 years ago, uh, the controversy was over sexual freedom. People w- would shout that they should be free to sleep with whoever they want, whenever they want. Today, we've shifted to where we, we still want to sleep with, with, with whoever we want, but in a way that's, that's more humanizing. See, w- before it was the Wild West. Everyone could do what was right in their own eyes, but now... We've had this, this, this things like the, the, the Me Too movement that have uh, exposed where, where that attitude uh, can be a devastating, particularly for, for the sexually abused and the, the, those who suffered sexual assault, uh, particularly women. See, we're at a, a crossroads in our culture where we want to be free, but we also want to be safe. And sometimes that feels contradictory, doesn't it? And so in a climate like the present day, Jesus' words here should actually resonate with us because he is, he's actually uh, teaching us through the law how we ought to value one another. He says that when God called his people not to commit adultery, he wasn't simply meaning uh, sleeping with another man's wife or, or another wife's husband. He was talking about how we, how we view one another as, as people created in God's image. Jesus says here that that if another person has been created in God's image, then, then we cannot treat them as, as objects simply there for our sexual pleasure. Even our lust, our looks, dehumanize another person. And this is, this is before we even get to sexual acts outside of marriage. Again, Jesus is serious about this. Look at, at verses 29 and 30 again. If, you're, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now what's Jesus talking about? He surely doesn't really intend for us all to, to, to mutilate ourselves. I, I, I dare say that we would, we would literally, if we literally obeyed this, every one of us would be walking around uh, blind and handless. But Jesus is using an exaggeration to to underline the seriousness of the issue at hand, isn't he? The question for us is, what lengths are you willing to go in order to cut out sin in your life? How far are you willing to go for personal holiness and obedience to God? Would you get get rid of your smartphone if you struggled with viewing pornography on it? 
Would you stop seeing another person socially if you found you just couldn't get them out of your head? Would you end a relationship if you found that, that you couldn't stay out of bed? What are you willing to cut off in your life for the kingdom of God and for, for Christ Jesus? When we put it that way, it's challenging stuff, isn't it? Why does Jesus take it this far? After all, sex is such a natural thing, isn't it? Every living creature has these, these desires and these longings, so how can they be wrong? I want to suggest that there are few areas where we feel our world and our, and our, and our personal brokenness more keenly than, than in the area of sexuality. There's probably a lot of reasons for it, but I think one of the biggest is because we've lost sight of the purpose of sex. Sex is about reproduction, certainly. In fact, God called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to, to fill the earth. There's, there's only one way to do that. However, he gave them that command after, after establishing the intimacy between them. He created them for one another, male and female. Adam himself bore witness to this when he called Eve, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. See, there was this, this deep intimacy, this, this marital bond established and, and that, that, that God created between them. And sexual intimacy was, was a reflection of that. And that's the purpose of it. That's why as followers of Jesus, we believe that, that sex is for marriage and marriage between one man and one woman. Because it's about the joy and pleasure of being naked and unashamed because you belong to the other person wholly and completely. And when we remove sexuality from, from this context, then it's, it's inevitable that we dehumanize one another. And here's why. God made man and woman to complement one another. And he made the marital relationship to provide security and to be a picture of, of the relationship that we have to Jesus. And there's security in belonging to another, isn't there? Particularly when, when you produce children. But even, even without children, there's, there's a security to that. In marriage, the act of sex is actually a, a freeing and beautiful act because, because in it we are, are celebrating that intimacy. We're, we're seeing, we're, we're saying that we've given our whole self to the other person. That we bring everything into this relationship. All of our, our, our intellect, our finances, our lives, our bodies, everything that we have. We bring everything, that, that, and it belongs now to the other. And when that's missing, when, then, then we inevitably are left feeling broken and vulnerable and cheated. And even consent between two parties or, or even a committed relationship isn't enough to fix that. You see, Jesus is affirming here the proper God-made context for sex. And yes, it's a, it's a very narrow context, isn't it? But that's because sex was never meant to make us whole. It was never meant to be an act of... It, it, was, it was never meant to be the thing that, that made us feel like a complete person. It was meant to be an act of deepest intimacy that underscored the marital bond between a husband and a wife and that pointed us to our relationship with our great God. And I think deep down we know this. And the fact that we, we want to fight it so vehemently and in so many different ways actually points to just how broken we are. But Jesus means exactly what he says here. 
that our sexual brokenness runs so deep that even in our daily looking around, we're, look, we're, we're just as bad off as, as the adulterer. And some of you may be thinking, that, that sounds really unfair, Rob. That's, kind of, that, that's almost cruel. In fact, I, I feel like I'm missing out on something. There's, uh, you, I, I often have these, these deep, burning desires, and I don't have any prospect of those desires being met. Isn't that, isn't that really hard? Well, yes, the law of, of God is really hard, and, and that's actually the point. That's the point that Jesus is making. That's why Jesus began his sermon with blessings for the brokenhearted. And for those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the ones, the, the ones who are, 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 are pure in heart. If you're finding this command impossible and, and even painful, then you're actually beginning to get the point of it. But before we move on, let me, let me address two kinds of people who, who may be with us this morning. The ones, the ones who, who've been sinned against and the ones who've, who've maybe sinned in this area. Some of you may, may have been sinned against whether you are abused or, or assaulted. And what I, I want you to hear is that Jesus does not condemn you here. And at no point should you hear Jesus blaming you for what happened. Rather, you should hear Jesus saying to you that, that actually he loves you and that he will not allow the one who has sinned against you to go unpunished. See, there's, there's real justice in the law of God. And there'll be real justice in Christ. You're part of the reason why this command is so important and why Jesus is so serious about it. And you should also hear him say that what, what he said back in verse 4 of this chapter, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, mourning in verse 4 is, was all about those who have a reason for sorrow because of the things that they've suffered and the things that they've survived. And Jesus doesn't blame you or condemn you. He, he wants to comfort you. So let's, not, let's definitely not lose sight of that. But secondly, for those of us who have sinned in this area, I, I won't ask for a show of hands for, of who sinned in this, this way this week because we would all have to put our hands up, wouldn't we? Uh, when we read this, we want to find a way to explain it away, don't we? Or to cry out, you know, the, the bar for, for sinfulness is, is too low. But that's the point, really, isn't it? That God is so holy and so righteous we can never live up to his standards. He's so perfect, even the most legalistic person among us could never be good enough. Jesus says the, the answer isn't to stop trying. He says, he says, gouge out your eyes. Take drastic steps to pursue personal holiness. The, the reason we can and the reason why we, we want to is because we have a Savior who lived a perfectly holy life. Can you believe that Jesus never once looked at a woman lustfully? That should blow us away. And the wonder of the gospel is that this, this Jesus offers us his righteousness and he invites us to take on his perfection through faith, through seeing our sexual brokenness and adultery for what it actually is and repenting of that and turning from it to him. Now, our second light topic of discussion this morning is, is our broken marriages. Let's look again at these, these two verses, uh, verse 31 and 32. Jesus says this, it's, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman 
commits adultery. Now, this is a, a continuation, of course, of the, the discussion of, of adultery that we've, we've just had. In this case, Jesus is bringing the application of the, uh, the adultery command into the context of the marital relationship. And Jesus is speaking to an issue that, that came up with, with the people of God, the children of Israel, after they had, had been brought out of Egypt. And they're, they're in the, the, the desert, they're wandering. And in Deuteronomy 24, Moses created this command that Jesus just cited, this, this requirement for men to write a certificate of divorce for their wives. If they were to, and this was if they were to divorce them with, without a good reason. And remember, this is a, a patriarchal society, and in those days the men had all the power to decide to divorce their wives if they were simply not pleased with them. And this would leave the woman destitute. So Moses uh, required them to write a certificate of divorce which gave the woman certain, certain rights. And it was an act of, of mercy and protection over these, these vulnerable women. But what Jesus is emphasizing here is that this was never what God intended for marriages. God never intended for these men to cast off their wives willy-nilly. Rather, he intended them to actually love them and stay with them until death. And what Jesus says here is actually really shocking because he, he tells the men gathered there that it's actually wrong for them to divorce their wives just because they're tired of them or to divorce their wives just because uh, for, for, for any other sort of silly reason, other, any reason other than being unfaithful to them. This actually has a lot to tell us about marriage and divorce, doesn't it? What does Jesus think of marriage? Well, he says it's, it's really, really, really important. He says that it is, in fact, precious. And in these, these two simple verses, he lays out for us marriage as God intended it. That it's forever, it's until death separates the husband from his wife. We actually heard why just a, a few minutes ago when talking about sexuality. It's because there's a, a oneness to the marriage. And it's a bond that, that to be broken is, is not only unnatural, it's, it's incredibly damaging. And Jesus compares it to adultery because it was, once again, a, a dehumanizing <coughs> act for these men to divorce their wives. See, marriage is a sacred bond. It's a covenant relationship that Paul later tells the church is a, is a picture of how Christ loves his church, his people. And Jesus never divorces his people despite all the rubbish stuff that we do. And if that's true, then it's a, a terrible thing to divorce another person or a person that you're married to. And I want to be careful on this issue uh, because I know there are some here who, who've been through the pain of divorce and some perhaps with good reason. And Jesus gives the reason for adultery here as, as the one reason, but he'll, he'll also mention uh, later in the gospel uh, abandonment as another reason. There's, there's there, there are the only reasons for getting a divorce uh, that would be biblical and lawful. And I'm not casting judgment on any here this morning who've gone through a divorce. Uh, what I want you to know is that, that, that Christ loves you and Grace Church welcomes you. And I want to be sensitive too because I know a, a divorce can be a public thing. It can be very public. And, and, and uh, it can be a well-known thing while all the rest of us can actually hide the things that we do. 
We can hide our, our lies and our anger and our lusts and all the other things that we do. So let's, let's all remember again that the Sermon on the Mount is, is meant to reveal our deepest sins, to drive us to Jesus, not to, just, not, not to make us more self-righteous. But I want to understand, though, why Jesus says what he says here. He wants us to understand that, that God loves marriage. And he loves a marriage between a, a man and a woman. And the marriage between a man and a woman is, is his plan for humanity. But he recognizes that in our brokenness and sin, marriage doesn't usually live up to the hype. Marriage is a really, really hard thing. And that's actually what, what Jesus is speaking into. He's speaking into the challenge of marriage. He's being sober-minded and, and realistic here. He's dealing with a, a particular issue, yes, but it tells us a lot about marriage. And there's really two types of people in this room. There are those who, who have been married uh, or are married. And there are those who, who think that marriage is the thing that they, they really want most in life. They think it's the thing that's going to, to make them feel whole, that will, will fill all of their longings. All these desires that they have are going to be met in this other person. And if you're in the first category, then you know how hard marriage is. And you need to hear what Jesus is saying here. And if you're in the second category, then you're quite naive and you need to stop and listen to what Jesus is saying here. Because what Jesus recognizes is that marriage is actually really hard. And if left to ourselves, we would, we would do what the Israelites were doing. And that's divorcing because it just feels more convenient at times. In fact, in our culture, it's, it's safe to say that that's exactly what we do. Except instead of the husband being the only one who has the power to push for divorce, we've, we've empowered wives to do so as well. It's equal opportunity now, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. Marriage is absolutely wonderful, and you should desire it. But you should also recognize that it has its challenges. Marriage is hard. And I'll tell you exactly why it's hard, because you're taking uh, not one but two sinners, and you're putting them together, trying to get them not just to live with one another, but to, to love one another. And that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it, when you put it that way? Marriage is the place where an accidentally burnt dinner turns into an, a heated argument that turns into an evening or a night sleeping on the sofa. It's where arguments over petty things like what brand of toothpaste you're going to use or, or how much someone paid for a haircut or, or scheduling a night at the pub with your mates without asking first can grow, lead to growing frustration, to mistrust, and eventually to falling out of love and finding it easier just to separate the truth is, the whole time you realize that you're being uh, an idiot, but you really, really, really want it to be the other person's fault. Because you thought that when you got married, the, the other person was there for you, and that they were there to love you, and to care for you, and to do all the things for you that you can't or won't do for yourself. And what Jesus is saying here is that actually the reason you, you got or should, should get married is to love the other person. To love them as Christ loves his church. To respect them as Christ's church respects and is obedient to him. To love and care for the other persons while you marry them. And to divorce them for not meeting your expectations is the exact opposite of what marriage was meant to be. 
Jesus says it's a, it's a serious thing to end a marriage for these kinds of things. And in doing so, you're not only sinning, but you're causing the other person to sin too. And Jesus gives one reason for divorce. And later in the, the gospel again, he gives another, which is abandonment. And those are the only two biblical reasons to divorce. And they're still incredibly painful. And they're not to be taken lightly. And the reason they're, permiss- they're permissible is because they, they so break that marital bond, that marital covenant, that, that the reality is that the, 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 the divorce has already happened. And the legal divorce, the, the certificate of divorce, is merely a, a recognition of that. Now all of you uh, who've never been married are, are probably now asking, why, why would anyone want to get married then? And so I think it's important that we, that we uh, recognize again that, that Jesus is actually speaking positively about marriage and negatively about divorce. He's putting a firewall around marriage to protect it and preserve it because marriage is a, is a massive blessing. Most of you who aren't married want to be because God made us for it. It's right that you want to be married because marriage is a massive blessing. And marriage is a blessing in part because it is hard. See, the other side of the coin is that marriage sanctifies us and it refines us. It's where we see and feel our sin and our pettiness and our stupidity and and we repent before God and our spouse. And marriage is where where we feel the love and joy of forgiveness when our spouse forgives us or for for when we've wronged them. Marriage is where we, we taste the passion of God's love for us and in the love of another. And all of this is imperfect in our marriages, but it's, it's there and it's, it's part of God's plan for blessing us. And you don't get it in a committed relationship. And you certainly don't feel it in casual sex. And that's why Jesus wants to preserve marriage and to protect the vulnerable within it. Lastly, on this point, I'll, I'll just say that I know whenever we talk about sex and, and marriage or, or divorce, it, it never really gets uh, covered in a single sermon. And the, the single sermon always brings up other questions like, what about singleness, remarriage, and, and probably all kinds of other things that are running through your minds that I haven't even thought of this week. And I'm not trying to overlook any of that or, or make anyone feel inferior for being married or divorced or single. Jesus isn't doing that here either. He's calling us to understand how God's law applies to marriage and to cause us to, again, see our brokenness in that and our need of him. And so if, you, if, if this is creating questions uh, or concerns, please do come and talk to me. Uh, you don't have to do it over coffee even. We can, we can set up a time to chat uh, further in private if you like. But do come and talk to me. And finally, I, I want to close by saying this. I know, I know it's a lot of heavy things in these two in these two commands this morning and again I think there's there's nowhere where we feel our sin so keenly as we do in the areas of sex, sexuality and marriage and some of you uh, may be saying to yourselves this is just this is just too difficult it just feels like he's asking too much why would Jesus tell me to stay with, with the spouse that I can't get on with anymore why would Jesus tell me to wait until marriage when it seems like the whole world is having and enjoying sex? Why would Jesus affirm marriage between a man and a woman when I'm same-sex attracted? Why would Jesus say to me not to look at another person lustfully when I'm, I'm addicted to pornography? 
And the truth is that if you, if you feel this way, then, then you are actually starting to get the point. Jesus is serious when he says, gouge out your eye or cut off your hand, even if, if he isn't being literal. The, the things that, that we feel we can't live without or the, the, the person that we feel we can't live with are the very things that Jesus is calling us to live without or to live with. And that's why back in, in verse 5 of this chapter, he blesses the meek. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, the meek are the ones who have absolutely no claim to make before God. They recognize that they have no righteous to, righteousness to bring before him. So they realize the only th- option that they have is to submit to him. But did you hear the promise? They will, they will inherit the earth. See, all the things that we're looking to to, to satisfy us that Jesus calls us to lay aside and simply he, he, to, to simply follow him and trust in him to fill our longings. Jesus promises to fill those. Last week, or maybe a couple of weeks ago now, we sang the, the hymn, uh, Be Still My Soul. It's one of my favorites. And one of the, the, the verses that, that gets me every time is it says this, Be still my soul, your Jesus can repay. From his own fullness all he takes away. See, when Jesus, when Jesus calls you to lay aside the things that are, are causing you to sin and, and, and leaving you broken, and when he calls you to, to lay aside these things that, that you think define your humanity and who you are, the question he's asking you is, do you believe that Jesus is good enough, that he has enough goodness, enough righteousness, enough mercy, enough wealth to repay all that he asks you to give up? And the cross of Christ says he does because it's there that he, 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 he had his hands and his feet and his side pierced for your transgressions. It's there that he gave up his life that you might inherit an everlasting kingdom. And in, a, in light of that, when we, when we dwell on that, all these other things that feel so weighty right now, these things that we think define who we are, that we think are, are going to give us joy in life. All of these things begin to feel increasingly small and actually quite petty. Let us pray.